Hey, Saints, and my beloved Ains. What's up with y'all? How are you today? I don't know where you are. If you're in your Kia, your Chevy. Or your Benz. Or that. The Saints got Benzes. Yeah, they do. Or, you know, you washing dishes uh, with a rag or with a sponge. I'm not sure. You know, we got a dishwasher that I, I don't like using our dishwasher. And I love using our dishwasher. Be- I don't know why you don't. Because it feels as if I low-key have to wash the dishes to put them in the dishwasher. It, it feels counterproductive. You don't. All you gotta do is just spray it but down a little bit. But you do. We've had this conversation before. All you gotta do is spray it down a little bit. I might as well add some soap in this. Just just go ahead and do it. It's so time-consuming, man. I guess. I just I just might as well just clean them myself and then put them on the side and that'd be that. Whatever. But I get it. Anyway, how how are you? You, you? You've been having problems with pollen. Pollen is evil. You think so? It's really evil. You've been struggling. Like I don't understand like why God had to like We're not gonna blame God. We not we're not gonna allergic we, to pollen. We're not gonna be like Adam. That's what we're not gonna do. <laughs> Hello. It's just I hate spring. Because yeah, he has provided Allegra. There is a ram in the bush, a ram at Walgreens in the name of Clarendon D. <laughs> Whatever, man. It's just it's just it's such a horrible season for me. My throat itching. I don't know where that banging sound is coming from, Jesus. Um, but yeah, my throat be itching, my eyes be itching, and I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah, you look a little crackish. Whatever, dog. <laughs> don't say I look. Don't talk to me like you that. You look a little crackish. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we we had the we've been having you know guests this yes. this this time around, and today we have a special guest who's listening to our foolishness right now. Uh, I'm excited about this guest because you should be. Yeah, man. If anybody. Anybody that knows me personally have heard me talk about this man probably once or twice. Um, if, as you know, I love apologetics. I love engaging with different worldviews, and I love learning about different worldviews and evangelism. And so this guy, man, he has challenged me and inspired me so much in my, in my Christian faith and my Christian walk. And so our special guest today is Eric Mason, yeah. Pastor Eric Mason. Let's do tongue tongue applause. He shut that back and shut that that book called shot. Tongue applause. What's up, brother? How What's you up, doing? Y'all? I'm so glad to be on here. How y'all doing? Chilling, man. Chilling. So uh, let's get right into it. Um, you just recently wrote a book called Urban Apologetics. Uh, I've heard so many people talk about it so far. Uh, I, I saw uh, Dr. Tony Evans talking about it the other day. Uh, another giant in the faith. Tell us what is urban apologetics and why you felt compelled to write. Can we back up real quick? Okay, yeah. Because some folk don't know who Eric Mason is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll be assuming everybody do because I know. (laughs) Who are you, Eric Mason? Because he got your number in in his phone, so he think everybody is connected (laughs) in the same way. Give us some context, Pastor. Well, um, um, my name is Eric Mason. I'm the husband of one wife. Um, That's important. Born and raised in Washington D.C. Uh, during the crack era, the mm. crack academic, mm. and um, I am also um, uh, I have four children, four living children. I a pastor of Tiffany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, global church planter, planted churches from uh, Malawi, Africa to South Central L.A., New York, a lot of different places. About forty-four churches. Um, wrote four five books uh, um and excited to be on here oh thriving lead thrive president of thriving and president of the enoch network amen yeah. about it <laughs> all right hmm. so let's get to this question that i asked before before <laughs> she really interrupted me 
I'm excited about this book. I helped you, actually. <laughs> I'm excited about this book, Urban Apologetics. And so um, what is um, the book Urban Apologetics, and why, why did you feel compelled to write it? Um, well, the premise of the book is really more in the subtitle than the title. Um, and so, uh, but the, the, the big title is kind of what kind of gets captured. It's Urban Apologetics Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. And the reason why we wrote, the, the, you know, the book, I general, gen, um, was the general editor. I wrote maybe four or five chapters in it and had a team of experts in, uh, on it. And so urban apologetics is really a subgenre of apologetics in which we contextualize uh, answering the questions of African-American people hmm. uh, and specifically that's influenced by um, black ideologies and black cults that pervade urban areas and now we know urban is not just it's not a look it's not a geography anymore it's a culture that travels beyond hmm. a geography now so um so yeah that's what that that's uh, in a nutshell what urban apologetics is and you know why we wrote it we wrote it in order to really help people to have answers i mean i was in college in the early 90s so you know when you went to college back then you talking about you're a christian that wasn't that wasn't gonna fly hmm. and so hmm. You, you, everybody's like it's in it's illogical to be a Christian and be black, and so that's been a folklore for the last fifty to sixty years wow. uh, since pr prior to the civil rights movement. So those things, those those questions haven't been answered in years, so we're trying to dive into that. Would yeah. would you say that that experience, like in school, is what like developed a desire to contend in like urban spaces, or yeah. is it like your time as a pastor like i guess what like what began that yeah it was interesting it's always when i first became when i became a believer november 15th 1992 you know you had hip-hop was a, in a way different place than it is now yeah um it, you know it was a lot of hostility towards christianity whether you're talking about leaders of the new school poor righteous teachers a tribe called quest public enemy mm. uh all of those different you know, um, groups, not, not, I'm, you know, and I'm this is just a few um, black sheep, whoever. And the, the, the nation of gods and earths was influencing everything. And oh, that's yeah. a, a subsidiary of the nation of Islam that believes the black man is God and the woman is the earth. And it still, you know, has those who are influenced by it today. And so it all I always as a Christian, black Christian, really felt like because there's almost a cultural assumption that Christianity is the white man's religion among lost African-Americans, I felt like I was always on the defensive of having to explain why in the world is it logical for you to be a Christian. So it's kind of, and then it comes in waves. So every 20 to 30 years, it reinvigorates itself to blacks being aware. Why are we even Christians anyway? Mm -hmm. Or fighting against racism. Whenever you see fighting racial injustice in America, you always see parallel to it people viewing Western Christianity as a partner to the racism that they're experiencing. Mm. Therefore, in their mind, making it illogical mm. for them to say, how can you be a Christian when you're the religion of your oppressors, as they would say it? So, yeah. 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 And so in pastoring, because I pastor a ton of millennials and Gen Zs, and so in pastoring a ton of, I mean, that's all I got in my church. I maybe have, man, 30 people above the age of 50, mm. you know, and so or maybe 40 above the age of 50. And so in light of that reality, I'm always I mean, this is the inquisitive generation. And so 
I'm all I, so it's forced from a pastoral standpoint. I can't leave it out of the pulpit either or our discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. That kind of brings me to my, my next question is how do you think um white supremacy has opened the door for the black conscious movement? And and we and somebody explain black conscious mu- movement because not everybody even knows what that conscious. You mean like our conscience, like it's yeah. clean because of Jesus? Yeah. So maybe Eric, you can explain. <laughs> you could explain what the black conscious movement is, and then you can kind of explain. You know how has like white supremacy kind of opened the door for for that these movements? Good question. So the the conscious community is the original. Um thief of our understanding of what it means to be biblically woke wow. and biblically conscious. W.E.B. Du Bois talks about the double his double consciousness of black people in his book. I talk about it in a woke church, but of black people in um, his book, um, The Souls of Black Folk. And he was discipled by a pastor named Alexander Crummel, who's the father of Pan-Africanism. And so in their mind, when they came up with the double consciousness theory and what we now call woke in its more biblically rooted Ephesians chapter five, four through 16 disposition, you know, it meant being aware to God's truth. And it mean all, all also being aware that's what it takes on, but specifically in the area of racial injustice, his double consciousness was more sociological from that came the black consciousness movement, which kind of stole from all of the Christian historians, the black historians that were Christian. I mean, if you look at Frederick Douglass, out to be Wells, Sojourner, all of them are Christians, mm-hmm. you know? And so what, what they ended up doing in the 50s and 60s is hijacking that. And later on, that became like Panther movement to the 70s, you know, and then to the 80s, they became this conscious movement where they don't even realize that they're really a subsidiary of us. They just stole it and hijacked it for ethnocentrism versus both the ethnic identity, ethnic identity that's valued by the Imago Dei and Christ ref- changing and framing you and restoring your identity. I so the know. black conscious community is now a bunch of like different groups now from comedic groups, uh, Yoruba spirituality, black atheism, Hebrew Israelites. I mean, anything that's a kind of a, has a, as its base, black identity hmm. is the black conscious community. So wow. that's the long and the short of it in a very, very compact way. I ain't, <laughs> yeah. I ain't never heard that in my life. Yeah, that's deep. And so my, my second part is 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 because what I've been seeing, um, that's crazy. Uh, what what I've seen in, in in mostly all of these you know black conscious movements. Cause I grew up around Hebrew Israelites, Moors, you know you know um, black yeah. movements like this, right? Muslims, and you, they yeah. always tend to talk about how Christianity is the white man religion, you know. And so it kind of yeah. seems as if um, a lot of these movements are fueled by by white supremacy and so like how do you like wh- what would you say what would you say how uh, what would you say in terms of how the the white supremacy has given birth and uh, open door to a lot of these you know conscious movements to even exist in the first place mm. yeah for me when somebody says christianity the white man's religion i say you you, you saying that is a response to white is 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 a basically a work of white supremacy yeah, <laughs> I said because white supremacy gave you that f- that like if you even did any kind of history, you would know that Christianity could not be the white man's religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But your response to trying to restore your own identity outside of Jesus and true history makes you think, which makes you fall into white supremacy. So what I I do two things. I say, first off, Christianity started in 
modern day Saudi Arabia area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Saudi Arabia slash Israel and made its way into Africa, China, uh, Asia and Europe. And, and, you know, and then I talk about the thousand years of theology and, you know, and and development and the earliest manuscripts we have are from Alexandria, Egypt. the, the earliest transmissions, if you look at the CSB, if you look at the NASB, if you look at the ESV, they use manuscripts that were transmitted by Africans, mm. North wow. Africans. So to, to even say that Christianity is a white man's religion doesn't make sense. But I can tell you who has a white man's religion. Nation of Islam has a white man religion because their leader was Farah Muhammad, a white man. Mm. Morris Temple of Science has a white man's religion because um, the, the, uh, more, more, Morism is a form of, is a subsidiary of Islam and Muhammad in the Hadith is called a white man. So it, the Kemetic community, they say Christianity is a white man's religion, but they are basing their teachings about Christianity on people like Helena Blavatsky, the Theosophical Society, and Alvin Boy Kuhn, all those different people. So if anybody has a white man religion, it's all of them. So Wow, that's deep. <laughs> well, one thing about this conversation that I, I wanted to speak into even now is that I can I can hear some people listening to this and saying, I have never heard of any of these terms any of these religions, more science temple, what is that? And I think that's that's why urban apologetics is necessary. Yeah. Because what's happening is you're you're coming into a conversation that black people are having to have. Uh because really, you know, studying Mormonism is it helpful? Yes. Studying Jehovah's Witnesses is it helpful? Yes. Studying atheism is it helpful? Yes. But when I go and get my locks twisted, I'm not having to to deal with Mormonism. I'm having mm-hmm. to deal with why do you worship a white Jesus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and so there are particular apologetics that we as black Christians have to develop when it comes to our context in particular. And so I think this is why this conversation is so necessary. Yeah. Um because oh, it just oh. it equips me and it helps me to know what to do when I'm getting my my hair done. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's that's good. I want to talk about um particularly Hebrew Israelites, because I think that, you know, uh, just being a black man from the urban community, the Hebrew Israelites are on the rise, and I don't see their movement shrinking. I see it growing. Mm -hmm. I see... But can uh, I ask you this? Who are they? Yeah. What do they believe? And so the Hebrew Israelites are a group of people who believe that they are essentially ethnic Israel. They believe that they come from the lineage of, you know... Jesus, David, they believe that they are the true Israelites. They believe that when the Bible talks about how, you know, the children of Israel were shipped away and, you know, in ships and stuff like in that. In Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, they believe that essentially that was a transatlantic. I only know that because of Kendrick. Yeah, that was a transatlantic <laughs> slave trade. And that, you know, and that they're, that they're, that they're, uh, that essentially they're, they're ethnic Israel. And so right now, a lot of, you know, we have denominations, they have camps. A lot of camps would tell you, that they are a part of the Great Awakening where they're realizing that they are the true children of Israel and their mission is yeah. to show black people, the so-called black man, you know, that we are the original Israelites. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that, you know, uh, and so they don't call themselves black Hebrew Israelites anymore. They call themselves Hebrew Israelites yeah. Um, yeah. Um, because they believe that, you know, Native Americans are part of eth- ethnic Israel. They believe in Hispanics um, are part of ethnic Israel. They believe the so-called black man in America who, um, yeah, is part of ethnic Israel. They don't believe that people like white people or Asians um, um, are part of that lineage, and they believe that you know they will. So in so in essence, be damned to hell. So in essence, if you are not black and brown and then awakened, 
are you can't be saved? Is that the I'm trying to parse this now, out. So one of the things that I, I try not to do, and I'll let Eric speak to this because uh, I learned a lot from him. Um, it's I try not to um, put all of what Hebrew Israelites believe in in one basket because there are, like right. I said, there are many camps. Yeah, they're not monolithic. Yeah, right. they're not monolithic, mm-hmm. not monolithic mm-hmm. at all. And so uh, some some camps don't believe in what other camps believe. But mm-hmm. I think essentially mm-hmm. what all of them believe is they're they're part of ethnic Israel. Okay, and mm-hmm. so. Um, and so, you know, a lot of black men and black women are getting a hold to this this false theology, mm-hmm. for lack of for yeah. terms, and they're leaving the faith in droves. And so uh, I don't see, you know, um, this religion shrinking. I believe, I believe that it's going to continue to grow. Uh, and so, yeah, speaking to the black um, Hebrew, Hebrew Israelite, Oh, Hebrew Israelite, you know, uh, movement and how we as a church can can combat that. It's um, a big question. Well, the movement, the movement actually comes from Pentecostalism. A lot of people don't know that. Hmm. Um, that's why they have readers. The the camps have readers because read slavery. Huh? Read read. That's what yeah, they say. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you if you look at some and you look at some really really rural, like. Old school apostolic videos. The pastor don't even read the Bible. No, he, he don't. He preaches as the person reads. That comes from the church. That's deep. Um, yeah, it's deep. But um, the, uh, and um, but anyway, so Hebrew Israelites. I mean, it had its wave in the. They they wouldn't have called it. They would thought of themselves as rabbinic Jews in the twenties. I'm skipping over a lot of stuff. Six. Fast forward. Some of the guys that were in post the Harlem Renaissance taught by some blacks who started their own synagogue from white Jews in Harlem ended up uh, starting their own, they started in um, the 60s, One West, um, uh, One West in Harlem, and basically began a different strand of what we call Hebrew Israelism that we know as camps, which those are the ones that be on the street, um, you know, and people jokingly, you know, make fun of their garb or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I don't want to do that. But um, but th- their belief fundamentally is, is, is that all of the Hebrew Israelites, they'll pretty much agree that um, black people pretty much that came over in transatlantic slave trade, these are those even who quote unquote call themselves moderates. There's some old groups in Chicago. There's an old group. It's like a mega, it's like a mega church. Yeah. You can almost, they, and they almost feel, they almost feel like country, uh, but it's interesting. And um, so that, I forgot the group there. I got a presentation on it, but so they ultimately believe that we're all pretty much the descendants of Israelites. And that's why we got pushed into transatlantic slave trade based on Deuteronomy. 2868 and um but then when you go to the groups and you begin asking questions like like for me um um preston i really i really don't care if somebody calls themselves a hebrew i could care less yeah right yeah. i care less what you call yourself my question this is what i'm asking i'm asking okay w- w- what is your canon for scripture yeah. who is jesus mm-hmm. how do you, what, how do you get saved now when you start saying you're justified like you'll have some groups now they've changed. They used to say you're justified by the law. Then when you take into Romans 220 by works of the law, so no flesh be justified. So there are groups that believe that you're justified by faith, but you're sanctified by the law. But then when you take them to Galatians and, you know, they get confused in it. Well, so you talked about, you know, them. Uh, I think I, I think I heard you say that that they don't essentially they don't believe that you know jesus is god and they deny his no name. no no you will not find you will find some moderates but they they're all let me let me just say this hebrew israelism is working on it's 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 a 
it's a um, working document with their theology. Interesting. Okay. So if you study it historically, and, and, and so there's no heresy for them except for what's Christian and what's white. Mm-hmm. So when you look at, <laughs> when you look at um, their Christology, it's Arianism, which basically believes that Jesus Christ is a created being, which that's what Mormons believe. That's what Jehovah oh. Witnesses believe. Yeah. Also, their view of scripture is very disjointed. So there, there are some that are what's called Tanakh only, which is Old Testament only. Some that believe in the Gospels. Of course, a lot of them don't like Paul uh, because Paul pretty much uh, challenges all of. <laughs> I mean, their Jude. It, he challenges their Judaizing. So they decanonize Paul a lot, and then pick and choose like the Nation of Islam, which verses are inspired and mm-hmm. useful, and which ones are not. But they viewed the, many. Most of them view the New Testament as a commentary on the Old Testament and believe that the, the that the law of Moses is the most hefty and most important part of Scripture. Wow. Wow. I, I think for me, well, one, how I have so many questions, because on one on one level, I'm I'm asking the question of what does a Christian need to read to equip themselves? Because yeah. one thing I've, I've thought is, man, like Urban Galatians itself, just having a knowledge of Galatians to me gives you a lot of context for how to, you know, defend against justification on the basis of ethnicity. But also I also think about, but I'm a woman and they don't listen to people like me. And so it's like, what is even a woman to do if, you know, she wants to engage with this particular sect? Because I remember one time me and my friends, we had went up to them on the street because they was like yelling at us. And I tried to start talking and he was like, you don't get to talk to me. Like you're a woman and you got on pants. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. And so I was just yeah, like, man. I'm good. So is that one of those things where like as a woman, I just I just gotta pray and give them to, you know depends. It it depends on the camp because yeah. it depends on the camp. But I think what you this is what is so important, um, Jackie, in your question, is this we don't know our faith. Yeah. Before we even get to gender and all of that. In other words, having a strong understanding who Jesus is and where I can find it in the Bible mm. is so important. Yeah. Um, having an understanding, like they, of course, talk stuff about the Trinity. You know, we're like, if you ask the average Christian, is, 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 is you know, where do you find the Trinity in the Bible? Most of them would just say they believe it. And you say, no, 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 no. Just give me, just give me a few verses that you kind of root your belief in. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I believe that a lot of what we're dealing with exposes is a lack of discipleship in the church. Wow. Um, a lack of a lack of equipping for people having a basic confidence. I'm not saying everybody has to be a scholar, but I do think that when you run across people in other in these groups, they know what they believe better than we know what we're supposed to believe. Should it be? It's true though. And so and so and so the and so the issue is we have to begin as believers we just got to make better disciples. All of these sermons on purpose is cool. All of these sermons on your season is cool. All these sermons on it, it's about to it's about to be a breakthrough. I sense in the atmosphere. There's about it's about to be a move. Hey, there's about to be hey, there's about to be a move. You know, and all of that's fine. But when they get on the street, or they or they in their classroom in college, and they, and they first go to college. And the, and there's a, they get in a philosophy class yeah. and they get gutted. Mm. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? You know what have we put in the souls and minds and hearts 
of our people yeah. that helps them to be able to stand firm for the good for the glory of God and the gospel, man. And yeah, and that's what I've been saying for the that's last real. couple of years. I think that the church, I think it's imperative that that the church do a better job of teaching our young Christians and older Christians how Absolutely. to engage with the world, how to engage with different worldviews. Uh, because I think what happens is when we get when we you know we we have we have a framework for our faith, right? But then when you get out in the world and the first time your your faith is challenged, you're rattled because nobody prepares you for it. Yeah, nobody Absolutely. prepares you for it, and I think that's a I think that's a tragedy. Let me, I, but back to back to Jackie's question, the other part of her question about gender, I do think we have to be um, gender sensitive and apologetics. But for the most part, though, because sometimes those I'm talking about with Hebrew Israelites in particular, because of the way they act. But when you get them one on one, usually Jackie, they'll talk to a woman. Yeah. Um. And 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 they'll and, and usually they put on a front in front of their crew, and we're talking about camps specifically, not the other groups. But um. But yeah, th th that's a that's a big deal. And don't even let me get on polygamy. How they bring one one uh, woman to Sabbath meeting one week and bring another woman to Sabbath meeting the next week. So My that's God. a whole other. The moral discussion. compass is is bad. Wow. Um. I I wanted to ask this question because. Uh, I read this article uh, maybe a month ago. Uh, it, it was written in like 2018 about how black women in particular are leaving the church um, and basically embracing African spiritualism. And yeah. what it makes me think of, because I don't see women, you know, flocking to Hebrew Israelism, Hebrew Israelism, but I do see black men. Yeah. But I, but I see a lot of women embracing you know just different gods and crystals and energy and all ancestors and, and so it's interesting to me how even just like the pool for like finding yeah. your identity and kind of like these african kind of thought I, I can't even explain my question i guess what it is is what is the attraction I understand, I understand exactly what you're saying what's the attraction i understand what you're saying yeah so I don't know if you saw the live man, Dr. Sarita did. I did. Like last week or a few weeks ago or whatever. But, um, you know, she she does a chapter on black women and the appeal of the black conscious community mm. in the book. And one of the things that we were talking about that she was saying is that um, the church has dropped the ball. Like they have dropped the ball on, on affirming black identity. They also dropped the ball on affirming women. Mm. Um even both in both in egalitarian and complementarian spaces on yeah. both and and how we dog feminism but don't affirm the ways in which feminism does for women what the church should be doing for women wow, and wow. that's affirming uh, her femininity that women can be theologians that women can teach that women can preach and you know your differences on where and when and the who you know we can work through that and we don't have to you know hate on each other as Christians because we have different views on function but value we should be exalting the value of women because mm -hmm. she was saying you know for the for this she said for the um for white white men represent manhood mm. white women represent womanhood black men represent blackness black women represent nothing wow mm. and when she said that it was the most i mean i had to stop the live for a second and just sit back and she said we're not the prototype for anything in culture because of how culture has treated us. Mm. It's the church's job based on James and based on Genesis chapter three, I mean, Genesis chapter one to restore the dignity of anybody 
um, not just black people and women, but uh, anybody who's dealing with dignity destruction. That's why you see in the Old Testament, it talks a lot about, like in Psalm 9, and it talks about it in Isaiah chapter 1, it talks about it in Isaiah chapter 10, it talks a lot about um, uh, widows and orphans, because in their society, those were the people on the bottom of the dignity strand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So whoever's at the body, bottom of the dignity strand in a society, they're supposed to be, you know, like I, I'm a Star Wars dude, right? And so when their ship getting beat up and it's about to go down, you know what I'm saying? They'll say, put all power through the through the forward thrusters. And you know, <laughs> yeah. so they, they reroute the power, get the power so that so they can land. You know, the church needs to reroute reroute its power to affirming the dignity of black women. Wow. That's good. That's, that's really good. That's strong. I have, I have a question. Um, so I talk to a lot of black men who um follow the channel or just follow you, follow me. Um, and a lot of times they're discouraged, not because um, they have the tall task of, you know, defending their faith. Yeah. But when you are in the in the black urban context, a lot of the times you're not just merely defending your faith. You're defending you're defending your personhood. You're defending your, your lineage. You're Absolutely. defending, you Absolutely. know, who who you are. And I, so I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, the black apologist or the black apologetic looks different than, you know, our white counterparts. Right. Because we have mm -hmm. to, you know, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we have to defend. Uh, who we are, and so what would you say to to the black Christian uh, who's essentially tired, who's mm. tired of of having to to not not only defend the God that they serve, but defend the person that they are? Uh, what would you say to to encourage that man or that woman? That's a good question. Yeah, one of the things that I would um you know I would encourage people with is. First off, we're in a we're really in a space now, which I'm loving what you all are doing, the content, the people like you all and many others, um, younger folk are putting out that can help be an encouragement to saying I'm not alone. One of the best I, I remember Impact in 1994, um, when I went to Impact Movement and I went, it was in Atlanta, right downtown at the Omni Hotel. And I remember going to impact and I had never, I didn't, I mean, I thought I was Elijah and God was like, nah, it's 20, it's two, it's 2,500 of you in here, bro. You know? Wow. And so I'm looking around like 2,500 black men and women from college campuses all over the country who are standing for Christ and who are fighting the same war I'm fighting. Mm. And so, man, I think that's, that's the, that's the key. First is getting yourself whether it's online or geographically around people that let you know you're not crazy. Wow. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. You know, that to me, that's the first thing because once you know you're not crazy, then you can take a sigh of relief and begin building your arsenal. Yeah, that's Amen. good. That's good. Yeah. Because I think, I think what I hear a lot is, you know, for the people I, I did a live last week, um, just basically, you know, answering questions that a lot of people had. And uh, I, I, I randomly allow people to come on a live with me. And this one guy, he was very sincere. He was out in Compton. And he, he was basically just emotional. And he said, literally, <laughs> you, Jackie, Eric Mason, and the Ann campaign are the only, like the handful of people that I look to for affirmation of who I am as a black Christian. Wow. Uh, wow. And what else did he say? He said a, he said a, he said a bunch of stuff. But, I wasn't listening. But, but basically, <laughs> what you know, we're, we're the people. We're the people that he looked to for 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 affirmation. And I think wow. that's that's the the a big part of the problem that it's a lack of 
representation. Mm. And so I think that if we yeah. can find spaces, where we, if we even we, even if we could create spaces where we can, you know, have so many people represented to encourage us, that mm. would that would just be big. I got a selfish that's, question. That, yeah, it, that's big. Uh, your conference coming back because that's a real good place to go. To, to be encouraged. yeah it is we we we're rework we're re what we're doing is we're reworking it so it's an online hub and mm-hmm. the online hub leads to a conference versus the other way around mm-hmm. and so what the gospel coalition has for its constituency we want to develop that type of platform for black folk that's why black christians that's why and so that means it'll be a one-stop shot it's not just apologetics but everything you can think of yeah. it's it's going to be it's going to be crazy for us and it, and I, I want to even get to the point where we have church recommendations in different areas so that as people are moving in career, we have some solid churches that are biblically sound yet also haven't forgotten about the the, the systemic need of blacks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, thank you, Pastor Eric Mason, for, for joining <laughs> us today. We really, I, I was encouraged. Yeah, I was encouraged, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for just leading the way, for being an example for uh, not just black Christians, but just Christians in general, of yeah. being solid, being, um, you know, being committed to like just biblical excellence and like not just being lazy in your approach. Uh, I think that uh, it's been obvious me, you know, following you throughout the years that you've spent a lot of time, a lot, a large majority of your life uh, making sure you give us accurate information about the Bible and who Jesus is. And so for that, I thank you. And I want to um, add, since since we, you know, building up and edifying uh the eric mason saint i I think like (laughs) i i think even i think both of you do this very well and lisa fields which is you show people that apologetics can be loving you know because when i hear eric talk when i hear you talk when i hear lisa talk i really don't hear people that are learning just for the sake of learning yeah as apologetics has typically been seen it's like no there's i'm thinking about people in my neighborhood, in my context that I care about and that I want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is why yeah. I'm learning what I learned. You and, know what I'm saying? So like, that's a that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons Pretty why bad. I'm so excited to read, read your book because I love apologetics, but a lot of the apologetics books that I've read so in the past, they've been so informational driven and just so like, let, 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 me, let me teach you how to like do these tactics but they don't teach you how to like really engage and love people. Yeah. And and our apologetic, we shouldn't just do apologetics just to do apologetics, just to learn a whole bunch of information. It should be evangelistic. It should be a way in, in to, to essentially make disciples, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. Uh, uh, you know, so the Great Commission, uh, I think it's not often thought about, <laughs> sadly, when we think about apologetics. We think about how can we stump somebody in an argument and not win somebody's soul. And so, man, for that, I, I've I've been a you know um, you know this, but I I've been a you know a huge um, advocate of just your work. And so, thank you, brother, for for what you do. All right. So, in the Appreciate show notes, likewise. In the show notes, I'll have the link to Urban Apologetic, Eric Mason's most recent work, um, and additional resources so that y'all can uh you know help this man. Uh, get all his royalties because he got a lot of babies. Yeah, buy this book. Because <laughs> <laughs> royalties are a blessing in Jesus' name. Right. Your son hey, she had it. Don't, don't. <laughs> all right, sir. Good talking to you. Peace. Likewise.